turning there, let me remind you where we're at in Titus. We've just looked, just three or four weeks ago, looked at that uh, all-controlling sentence I suggested controls pretty much most of the book of Titus to the pure, all things are pure, to those defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Now, whether or not you understand that correctly is going to affect how well you receive and, uh, and learn from the remainder of Titus. A number of years ago, I got married, and as most of you know, Holly is uh, very allergic to, to gluten. So at our wedding, we, we hired a, uh, an Indian uh, f- catering company to bring all this food, and, and everything was gluten-free, except uh, her family really loves, is it non bread? So we had one glutinous item off to the side at our wedding, and then at the end of the, the reception, they were supposed to package up some food for us to take uh, so that we wouldn't have to cook day one of marriage. And so they had this beautiful uh, tray full of Indian food laid out for us, and they stuck naan bread on top of everything and put the saran wrap or whatever. And uh, I'm sure if I had asked them, they would have said, everything's gluten-free except the naan bread. Just take the naan bread off and you're fine. Uh, but of, of course, with Holly's allergy, we ha- we would have responded, "Nothing's gluten free anymore." That that's what Paul's getting at. It, it's that kind of to the Jews of of Paul's day, it would have they would have thought Levitical code: the unclean thing touches the clean thing. Nothing's clean anymore. And to the pure, all things are pure. Remember how I sought to help us think through that. Pure as in those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. To those who are pure in the sight of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb, not by their own works, lest they should boast. All of life is for purity. All of life is for the pursuit of holiness. You you don't say, well, this is my Christian part of my life. And over here I have this hobby this friendship, this whatever, that is my, well, that's not my pure area, but that's the only impure area. Here's my secret hidden sin that I'm hiding in my heart, but the rest is pure. Paul is saying, then nothing's pure. All of life is for purity. And those who think otherwise, even their hearts and their consciences are defiled. That is the basis for which all of chapter 2 is given. And so keep all that in mind as we read now the word of God, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, Sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would bless this your word. 
and that you would give faithfulness and words of wisdom to him who speaks and that you would bless greatly we who hear so that Jesus Christ, our King, might be honored and praised in our lives. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Paul is about to jump in all the topics that are unpopular in a Cretan society. He's about to get ageist. Old people. Actually, he words it a little nicer than that. He says, older people. I think our translations are right in putting the ER on it. Older people. Not old, of course. But who are the older people? We have no older women in our church, only young women. But the older men might be those who are older than me. Let's just, that, that'll be our basis for today. That's, that's a good easy, or, or you're older if you're older than Shay, who's our oldest school person, right? So if you're older than Shay, this sermon's for you today. Uh, he's about to get sexist, men and women, and talk as if they have things that are distinct that they need to hear. Uh, he's about to talk about slaves, in a separate category. And our translations sometimes try to be nicer and say servant, uh, but it's, it is the word for slave. You can, either way is fine. Either way, we don't like servants in our culture either. Cretan America d- doesn't like the categories that Paul uses. Uh, he even inserts there that the other category we're going to see in a few weeks is Titus in his own separate category, as if the pastor is something special before we talk about slaves or servants, as if you, you, know, you have Titus at the top, he's the pastor, and then you got the bot. That's unpopular too. But we don't like leaders in the Cretan American church. But, so Paul, Paul's about to step in it. And we have to gaze into this with him because it's not Paul, but the Holy Spirit who gives words to the prophets and the apostles so that we might grow. But if we find ourselves cringing, if you find yourself nodding your head to some of the things that you all knew I was being sarcastic about over the past few minutes, ageist and sexist, if we find ourselves a little bit saying, yeah, it feels that way, then maybe that's a sign that Cretans don't only live in Crete in Paul's day. There are Cretans... Well, we've already been there, haven't we? All Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and how easy it would be to just swap out the nation. And it would feel very familiar. And so we need to gaze on these different categories. Today, I'm lumping all the older people together. Now, Now, the politically correct way for me to say that would not even be older, would it? It would be the mature believers. And that's what I've titled the sermon, to the mature believers. But that's even tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? Because the whole point of Titus chapter 2 is that there are no mature believers in Crete. There are older believers who ought to be mature. 
and they need to grow in maturity. Well, let's pray that we grow in maturity with them. I, I think there's a little more maturity here already than Titus found in Crete. But we still need to keep growing. So today I want to think about the older or the mature kingdom citizen under four categories. And I present four because I think with some slight nuances, the older men and the older women are told the same four things. It's only very slight nuances between what is said and it's given in a different order. But in essence, the mature believer of either gender are told that they are to have four character traits as kingdom citizens. Or to phrase it differently, there are four ways in which they are to be countercultural to their pagan society. And the first is that the mature kingdom citizen is sober. Verse 2, speaking of the men, is sober, or uh, I think the New American Standard might have temperate there. The ESV puts a little bit nuance on there, uh, sober-minded. And that's not inappropriate. There are certainly places where this word sober, which has to do with uh, uh, not being drunk uh, in the Greek, uh, there are certainly places where Paul is using it to not speak literally of alcohol, but of how you have control of your mind. He does that in 1 Timothy, for example. So there are certainly moments when sober-minded is what Paul has in mind. I'm not sure, though, that here he's being uh, that general. I think there's something more specific going on about alcohol. Remember, all Cretans are, are gluttonous. And when you're gluttonous, often there is the drink that goes with the gluttony. And we're about to see the women told that they are not to be given to much wine. See, there's a problem in Crete with substance abuse. And substance abuse isn't disconnected from the way that you have control over your mind and are sober-minded. But you have to address both issues. And I think Paul here is addressing the outward one so as to address the inner one. William Hendrickson puts it like this. He writes, well, I thought I had it here, but I don't have his quote. Well, anyway, William, William Hendrickson suggests that Paul is talking about wine so that those who are sober-minded will draw the conclusion that they need to be in control of their mind in all things. Obviously, when the Word of God tells you not to get drunk, but to be filled with the Spirit, He's telling you that not only in your substances you take in, but in anything you take in, even if it's thoughts and ideologies and worldviews, you are to be in control of your mind. But there is something specific going on here, I think, that has to do with actual uh, wine. That the women are told not to be given to much wine. I love the New American Standard here. Not slaves of wine. Because that's literally what Paul's saying. Don't be enslaved to much wine. Don't let it control your life. We talked about this sometime this summer. 
when we talked about elders needing to be sober as well, or not given to much wine, that, that we need to always be prepared for any conversation. Remember what Peter says? Be always ready to give a reason for your faith. What if you've had a six-pack and someone taps on your door and asks you why you believe? Will your mind be in the right place to be able to present clearly what you believe? I know that's kind of a goofy example, but it's a very basic example. That's what Paul's getting at. You are to be sober, not given to much wine, not women enslaved to wine. Men can be enslaved to wine too. Paul's just saying the same thing, and he's using different language so that we get the point. I, I think this is important. I, I think pastorally I need to, to pause on this point, not because I think any of you, as far as I know, have a problem with much wine or alcohol. If you do, you've hidden it well from me. But because we are a church in the Reformed tradition, and I think there's a big problem with those who claim this word reformed in our culture. There's two different, there are a couple of different ways to claim the word reformed. But I find that I, I meet a lot of people for whom reformed seems to be them saying, I'm not saved by works, so I'm allowed to drink as much as I want. I'm reformed. If Martin Luther were alive today, he and I would be down at the pub drinking together and making fun of the Pope. I'm reformed. Now, that's, that's what reformed is. I have a right to smoke and drink. Don't you dare tell me I'm not allowed to. It, it sounds absurd when you're in a church where you don't have someone acting that way. But, but I have quite a few friends for whom that feels to me like the primary thing they mean when they use that word reformed. What's that communicating to the world? In essence, it's, it's placing substances that, that are fine within certain reason under the liberty of conscience that we have in Christ but it's placing my rights to those things as if they are of the essence of the gospel. I'm saved by faith, and I'm, I'm allowed to drink and smoke. Don't touch either of those things, or you're taking away the gospel. People come pretty close to saying that. Richard Phillips I remember hearing Richard Phillips talk about how at his, in his congregation down in Carolina, um, a, a young woman was new to the, uh, the Reformed tradition. She started attending his church, and at one point she came to him in tears. Pastor, do I really have to drink heavily to be Reformed? The way she said that is even more grievous than the thought in general, isn't it? It wasn't, do I really have to drink to be reformed? She assumed that part. Do I really have to drink heavily to be reformed? Now, neither Richard Phillips or I think for a minute that you need to drink at all to be reformed. 
It's not of the essence of what the Reformation was all about. But isn't that sad? How did she get that idea? People were walking around thumping their chests, reformed, and giving the impression that drinking was the main thing. Shame. Shame on many of us in Reformed churches. We, we need to be cautious of that. Here at Christ Church of Franklin County, we do not need Reformed if Reformed means living as if Christian liberty is the gospel. We don't need that. What we want is Reformed that says... Here is the distinction we're making about how we understand the Bible from how our beloved brothers and sisters in this camp are understanding the Bible so that the two of us might see how much we agree on. That's what the Reformation was trying to pursue. Think of the English Reformation. Westminster Confession of Faith was written. A couple years later, John Owen and the Independents said, well, we want our own confession of faith. So John Owen wrote one. You know what he did? He, he took the Westminster Confession of Faith, and he didn't even get a copy and paste it. He had to do this by hand. He rewrote the whole thing and then changed like three sentences. Why? Because he wanted to show how much we were in agreement on before distinguishing what we disagreed on. A couple years after that, the Reformed Baptists of England said, well, wait a second, we want our confession too. They did the same thing. If we did that today, they'd be all writing with their own words. But the goal of being confessionally Reformed was agreement in as much as we can have. Not, not what some claiming Reformed today are indicating. I'm Reformed and I'm going to beat you over the head with a bottle. Until you see how wonderful drinking is. That's a problem. I've beaten that point enough. But I I think that's a problem. That's how many of you being reformed. We have a calling from God to present the gospel beautifully. And that means we need to stand out against such attitudes. And that may mean for those of you who drink. I know not all of you drink may mean for those of you who do drink that we need to be extra cautious with when we drink as well as how much. The mature kingdom citizen is to be sober. Why in the world is he telling this to the older Christians? Aren't the frat boys the ones that need to hear this in the church of Crete? The young men, the young men aren't told to be sober. But see, the problem is, as with so many sins, we think when we're young, oh, I can engage in this kind of lifestyle and then I'll just change. I can engage in these perversions, then I'll get married and I'll be holy. Uh, I can engage in this kind of drinking and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop. But sin is addictive. Whether or not there's alcohol involved in it. And the older Cretan Christians were found to still be addicted to the Cretan lifestyle. Well, the second thing then is kingdom citizens, mature kingdom citizens, are to be dignified. 
And, and I, I was thinking about the, the idea of being dignified. Since Victorian England, I, I think dignified has come across uh, a lot of criticism. Because we can think of dignified as being only an outward thing. You know, that, that person puts on their suit and tie for church, but in his heart, right? It's all whitewashed tombs. The Pharisees were dignified. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. Remember, the defiled are defiled in heart and conscience. The pure, accordingly, are pure in heart and conscience. The inside matters with this dignity as much as the outside. And that's why I think it's so powerful that NIV translates verse 2 that these men are to be worthy of respect. It's a bad translation of verse 2, but it is exactly what verse 3 is saying of the women. And it's, while it's a bad if you're going for literal translation of verse 2, it is what verse 2 is saying when it says the men are to be reverent. Verse 3 telling the women that they are to be befitting a holy person. That's the attitude they're to have, literally. Or worthy of reverence. You see, these men and women, they are to not just look a certain way. They are to have earned it worthy of reverence. In fact, I want to think about how Paul says that to the women there, that these older women are to be reverent in behavior. Uh, literally, it's a very weird Greek thing, literally befitting a holy person. And, and if you took the person part out of that, you could use the same Greek language of the Temples in Crete. Temples were a place they they built temples. You don't you don't build a temple to Athena. That's this ramshackle hut. They built temples that just walking between the columns. And past these statues were to drive something into your heart. Fear, astonishment, reverence, and awe. The pagans built their temples to cause you to realize you were entering a holy place. And a holy place does, demands a holy attitude. Paul uses that kind of language of the older women in the church as if to say when the rest of us walk into sisters your presence it ought to cause us to feel like we are walking with you into the holy of holies itself. Some of you have experienced that haven't you? It might be with an older woman it might be with an older man I, I find more often older women than older men, and that probably says something to the shame of the men of the church in our, in our days, praying with people. Right? When you pray with certain people, 
you realize we are in the presence of God. Now, you're in the presence of God always, in one sense, and you're in the presence of God in a special way when you pray through Jesus Christ. But isn't it true when you're with a mature, godly, often, you know, 90-year-old woman, Christian, praying, and you just say, she knows where we are. I want to pray like her. I want to pray like her. I want to be praying with her every day. Why can't I come over and pray with her every day? I've thought that before. I used to visit a woman in a nursing home and think, I've never prayed like she and I just prayed. And she died a few weeks later. I only got the chance to pray with her once. We were in the Holy of Holies through Christ. The mature kingdom citizen with reverence, ought to elicit a response from the younger believer. Worthy of reverence. What, a, what an amazing thing. Not just superficial outward austerity, but believers who teach the younger Christians what it is to live all of life in the presence of Almighty God. I think the dignified, mature believer, part of it being from within and not just without, is, is knowing. Knowing how to respond in different situations. Knowing what Solomon teaches, or the author of Ecclesiastes teaches, that there's a time for laughter and a time for grief and knowing the difference. The, the mature kingdom citizen may be the life of the party, but when it's not a party, they don't act like it is. The mature kingdom citizen doesn't show up at the graveside as if showing up at a birthday party. And hopefully they don't show up at church as if they're showing up at a graveside. There's a dignity in knowing both when to laugh and when to cry, when to praise and when to work. And doing all those things rightly is a form of dignity. And Paul is encouraging the the Cretan Christians to be like that as opposed to the Cretans who are evil beasts. The mature kingdom citizen with dignity represents the Imago Dei. Third, the the mature kingdom citizen is is self-controlled. And the third word there uh, for older men Self-controlled or uh, temperate or sensible. Uh, The word could literally uh, be translated as prudent or um, thoughtful. Uh, There's just so much there. It's a rich word. But, But I think here you have dignity taken into speech. Taking the time 
to bring that dignity into our speech. I had a pastor in the Midwest who was only like two years older than me, and he felt so much more mature, was so much more mature than me. Uh, you would ask him a question, and, and it would go something like this. Oh, thank you for asking. And he'd like, just look off. He'd be thinking. It would feel awkward. He said, thank you for asking, so you knew he'd actually heard you. But he wouldn't answer until he had the right response. And one of the things that that accomplished was that he didn't gossip or slander. Self-controlled. Specifically, controlling your tongue. Of the women, in verse 3, they're told to not be slanderers. New American Standard, not malicious gossips. (laughs) What a great turn of phrase. It's a very powerful thought, because in the Greek, the Greek, the word is diabolus. Like the devil. Now, the father of lies, he can convince us that sometimes we're telling the truth, and therefore it's okay. But the way that we're telling the truth is bringing harm and pain and division. Malicious gossips. Men can be malicious gossips too. Again, don't overreach the the difference in the language used in verse 2 versus verse 3. It's parallel thoughts. The men need to be self-controlled. Why? Because isn't it true for many of us, maybe especially us men, we don't think before we speak. But we all need to be on guard about that, how we use the tongue. James 3, what a powerful thought God uses. God says to us there, you have the audacity to go to church and sing praises to me and then to talk poorly of another human being who is made in my image. We don't think about how we use our voices, our tongues like that very often. Think of all the gossip and slander that would stop. How much more wisdom we would use in speech if we thought like that. The mature kingdom citizen isn't to be always a liar, like its culture. We, we live in a Cretan American culture with social media isn't isn't it interesting I, I feel like 20 years ago when Facebook and all that was just kind of starting to be popular you started having people say things about other people publicly on this forum 
and and if you confronted the person, they would say, well, I, you know, I wasn't talking about that person. This was on my private Facebook page. How private is that? But but you know, we don't even care about that kind of claim anymore. We say these things to people's faces as well as putting them on social media. Social media has in at least in the United States, created a, a group of people who are proud of being slanderers. And the more malicious, the better. You get likes, you get smiley faces. We are to be different. And then fourth, the mature kingdom citizen is sound. Sound in doctrine. Uh, which must be in harmony with the manner of living. And so we see here faith. Faith. I think not only faith in the right doctrine, but in the right doctrine lived out. What is proper for sound doctrine? Remember verse 1. Proper for sound doctrine. That you live it out. And so when we see faith here, there's, there's the idea of living it out in terms of an assured hope. What is it you believe? And does that cause your life to be an expression of hope? Hope not in now, but in that which is to come. Hope not in the stuff of this earth, but in the treasure we have in Christ and in the world to come. Faith, love, toward God, toward neighbor, and patience, perseverance in the faith, steadfastness to what is true, enduring hardship as a good soldier of Christ, knowing that the end is eternal glory, waiting for the day of his return. Are, are you that kind of patient? That's what we're called to here. And the mature believer should be setting the example for the younger believer of what it is to be patient in the hope of the gospel and what that looks like played out in love towards God and neighbor. Beloved, whatever your age, our goal must always be to be mature in the faith. Now that should be Caleb and Shay's goal to be mature in the faith now as it is also whoever's oldest in this room at the moment. That we are all to desire to be mature believers. The milk of the word is an amazing thing and we should never cast it aside and stop drinking it but we ought to desire with the milk to advance towards eating a full well-balanced diet of doctrine to be able to chew on the steak and then wash it down over and over again with the milk of the word that should be our desire if if my son Ezra in 16 years continues to have nothing to eat but milk he won't be able to go out and get a good job working construction he won't have the strength that's not natural to human beings. We need to advance into solid foods. And the same is true for the mature believer. 
Don't be satisfied with only the milk. Be satisfied with the milk and the meat that accompanies it. Dig into the word. Grow. And then grow in such a way that you speak the truth in a manner worthy of sound doctrine. That is, live a mature Christian life. Let us be sober in mind as well as in what we consume. Let us be dignified from the inside out. Let us be controlled in the use of our tongues. Let us be sound in applying doctrine in life, in faith, love, and patience. And as we confessed together earlier, let us do all this seeking to do one thing, to glorify God in all that we do. That is the image of the mature Christian.